Ladies and gentlemen, actuarial colleagues, welcome to this session. My name is Temba Gamedze. Whoa. Um, and uh, I'm chairing this session. We, uh, all of us are aware of where we are as a country. We've seen what's happened on the campuses. Uh, it wasn't long before it, uh, it wouldn't be long before it starts looking at professions such as ourselves. People have been talking about decolonizing science. Um, and science. So we'll see what they've got to say today. Um, but before we have that discussion, uh, we have uh, two speakers today. We're going to lead with Dave. Dave Strugnell is going to speak first. He's going to lead on the paper that he has done with Shivani Ranchard. He's head of research at MMI and also works part-time at UCT. The talk is Scaling the Peak, an analysis of throughput in the UCT actuarial science program. He will speak for about, he has been given 18 minutes. <laughs> and because, because I haven't put a point there, it means 18, between 18 and a half and 17 and a half. Um, then Shivani will come immediately, and Shivani is from Insight Actuaries also, and consultants, also does part-time work at UCT, and her topic is going to be, let's have a frank conversation about transformation, and in a sense, it leads on from uh, the previous one, and at that point, we will have um, some time to ask questions. This is being live-streamed. I don't know if it actually is being live-streamed. I suppose it is being live-streamed outside and people will be able to send questions in which you'll see up here. Don't be overwhelmed necessarily by the external questions but um, obviously I'll try and balance between people outside and people inside. Um, let us anticipate what's going to happen and uh, uh, let's uh, welcome Dave to the floor. Thank you very much. Thanks, Timber, and uh, thank you, everybody, for being here today. It's, um, it's a very gratifying experience for me. This is much better attended than any of my lectures. Um, and thanks also to those who are joining at the other end of this live streaming link. It's wonderful to see technology being used to open up the, the discussion in this way. So um, our... Is there any chance we could replicate those slides up there? There we go. Uh, so, uh, our, uh, our title, Scaling the Steepest Speakers, really comes from a metaphorical view of the, that long road towards actuarial qualification as being a journey over many mountains, culminating in that steepest peak of qualification. Um, but there are obviously many mountains to get over in the interim. We're shining a light in this piece of work, really, on that interim mountain range that we call university. But always in the context of the knowledge that post-graduation there are many more of those mountains to come. And indeed, even in getting to the start of that journey, our students have had to overcome many mountains, some higher than others. So just bear that, 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 that context in mind as we go through today. Um, we are shining a light particularly on UCT because that is where Shivani and I have an involvement, where data is available to us. Uh, and I realize that that can't tell the whole story, but I think there is enough that we can learn from this to give some universalizable insights, and hopefully at the end of today you will feel the, the same way. What we're really interested in 
is what are the key factors that determine success in university programs such as actuarial science? And how do those interact with the transformation challenge that we as universities, as the profession, and as society face? The literature points to a couple of consistent success or failure factors. Uh, stereotype threat is the risk that individuals, uh, through no conscious intention of their own, end up conforming to negative stereotypes about their social group. And a classic example at university uh, is that very first maths test in first year, which usually comes as a little bit of a reality check to all of the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed first-year students. And there is a noticeable difference that we've seen over the years in how male and female students react to that. The uh, young men are much more likely to treat uh, a poor performance in that first test as an outlier event, or better yet, to, uh, <laughs> to lay the blame on the, uh, the course material or the examiner or the lecturers. Um, clearly, the failing can't be theirs. Whereas young women are much more likely to internalize that um, and to end up playing uh, at the back of their minds into that, uh, that negative stereotype that, well, men are better at maths than women. Uh, similar negative stereotypes exist about the capabilities of black people in mathematical spaces, and hence black and female students are far more at risk from stereotype threat than other social groups. Language is another big issue. It's pretty clear that when you have a multicultural society uh, clashing with a monolingual institution, those who have grown up speaking the language of instruction are going to be at a natural advantage to other students. The quality of secondary schooling is a massively important factor, and if you need me to tell you how racially disparate the quality of secondary schooling in South Africa is, then you need to wake up from your slumbers now. And uh, <coughs> institutional culture. Institutional cultures emerge over long periods of time, and they generally change much more slowly than the underlying demographic composition of uh, the, uh, the membership base of the institutions. The net effect of that for students who come from cultures outside of their dominant norm can be a very disorienting and alienating effect. On the positive side, the literature consistently shows that providing the right kind of support uh, can have positive impacts on academic progress. In particular, financial support. Now, it's pretty obvious that for the poorest students, that's just a, a sine qua non, right? Without which nothing, that's a door opener simply to get in. But it's also a powerful psychological factor for students not having to worry about financial issues as they deal with the massive academic challenges that face them at university. And then by psychosocial support, we basically mean creating a sense of identity and belonging, um, a, a support and reinforcement structure that helps students to deal with things like that alienating culture and the academic challenges that face them. So all of this literature suggests that uh, we, we should be interested in uh, the way that academic performance uh, <coughs> is differentiated along uh, lines of racial identity, of gender, and of home language, and what role support plays in it. And that was really the, um, the focus of this piece of research for us. We're very fortunate to be able to lean on past literature here, um, going back almost 30 years. Uh, Dorrington and Fekirst uh, found, uh, well, at that time, we unsurprisingly, very low female intake and almost negligible black African enrollment. Um, over the years, obviously, that has improved. Uh, six years into democracy, Slattery, Dorrington, and Zietzman saw some growth overall in female and black African representation, but obviously a long way off where we would want it to be. 
Uh, and more recently, Ramji, Sabir, Andrea found female intake was now up to over a third, but disconcertingly found that dis the persistency rates among females continue to lag behind that of male students. So we're struggling to produce female graduates at the, uh, at the same rate. If you have a look at how the demographic profile of UCT entrance has changed over the last 15 years, uh, there's a lot going on in these slides, but just focus on the, on the big picture. In this case, the top and the bottom. Uh, you will see in light blue at the bottom the growth in the South African, black African student population at UCT uh, has been quite significant and more or less offsets the reduction in the, uh, the white student population intake. Um, by gender, that progress has been somewhat less impressive. Um, what increase we have seen in the proportion of females in the, the uh, first year intake has been, has been gradual at best. And um, finally, by home language, um, the main thing to take out of this slide is that if we go back 15 years, about 80% of first-year students came in with English as their home language. That figure is now down to about 60%, uh, with corresponding increase in indigenous African languages, particularly Isizulu, Isiklosa, and uh, Chivenda. Um, so <coughs> the, uh, the way that we approached um, the, uh, the, the, the modeling, the interrogation of the, the questions that we had that arise from that review of the literature, from that knowledge of how the demographic composition of our student base has changed over time. Uh, we modeled in the form of uh, Cox proportional hazards models, basic tool of survival analysis, using binary groupings, so for gender, male and female, for home language, English and other, uh, dividing into binary groupings along racial identity lines is obviously a fraught and awkward process. Uh, where we eventually settled was to um, uh, identify either uh, a grouping, uh, <coughs> a black grouping, which uh, consists of those historically disadvantaged groups uh, recognized in the Employment Equity Act, and then a non-black grouping, international students, uh, those who self-identify as white, uh, and that small but growing proportion of students who decline to um, identify themselves by race. On the support front, we really have, uh, we have two support programs of, uh, of, of, of interest. UCT students uh, and graduates will be familiar with those. Um, the first of those is the South African Actuaries Development Program, that amazing scholarship program that's been responsible for putting so much black actuarial talent through the university system in South Africa over the last 13-odd uh, years. That was introduced in, uh, in 2003. Um, and inside UCT, our Education Development Unit, which has been around in its current guise since about 2006, introduced its Actuarial Science Program in 2010. The EDU is a unit that basically aims at providing that so psychosocial support that I referred to earlier, creating a sense of family um, and focusing on achieving uh, degree throughput uh, amongst students who, um, uh, who have gaps and disparities in their education and, uh, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so we've really, we have uh, analyzed these results in, um, we've looked at two slices of history. Uh, the first from 2002 to 2015, where membership of the SARTP bursary program was our support variable of interest. And then the second from 2010 to 2015, uh, where we looked at EDU membership for reasons which I will explain in, uh, in a moment, and we're also able to introduce some extra academic indicators. Um, 
So for those who are, uh, have come here hoping for p-values and principal components, I refer you to our paper to satisfy that itch. I'm just going to be focusing on the, the high-level big-picture results here. Um, and looking at that entire period, 2002 to 2015, the factors that emerged as highly statistically significant, uh, we saw significant relative underperformance from the black grouping, the female grouping, and the non-English home language uh, grouping, um, which is a, a, a reminder, if, uh, if, if, if one were needed, that there are some serious disparities in experience uh, along the lines that matter from a transformation perspective in our university system. What's really encouraging from this was the positive contribution of being a member of the SADP program, right? And the way that the sort of support that that program offers gives us a hint as to what might work to overcome some of these challenges that we face. Um, this is best illustrated graphically. Uh, so what I have here is a, a Kaplan-Meier estimate of a survival curve for two groups of people. Um, in the red, with, uh, with confidence intervals around it, you can see the survival curve for a typical non-SIDP student. So that is somebody who's not in the SIDP program who more or less reflects the profile of our student base by race, by gender, by home language, right? We compare that with the, the survival curve, and survival to time four here is basically consistent with graduation. The survival, compare that with the survival curve in black for a black female SIDP student uh, from a non-English speaking background. And you'll see that the lower confidence interval of that latter survival curve basically coincides with the best estimate of the typical non-SIDP student. That is a frankly staggering result and a real testament to the, the positive value of, uh, of the, the, the South African Actuaries Development Program. Um, one caveat that I must, uh, I must acknowledge is that part of the story there could be a selection effect. SIDP chooses their students. Uh, I don't think that's the bigger part of the story, but I must acknowledge that it may well play a part. So what if we turn our attention then to the post-2010 scenario, and instead of using SIDP as our support variable, we look at membership of the Education Development Unit, where there is no such selection effect going on. Um, what we see here are, uh, on the positive side, it's again clear that being a member of the EDU has a statistically significant positive impact on throughput to graduation. Uh, the other factors that play a role are above median achievement in matric maths in the academic and mathematical literacy national benchmark tests. On the negative side, that race variable remains. So black students, even accounting for all of those, continue to have relative underperformance to their non-black counterparts. Uh, what's interesting here is you'll see that gender and home language have disappeared. Does that mean that they are no longer factors? Well, no, not necessarily. There are some signs that the gender effect is diminishing over time, encouraging signs. But really what's happening is that those effects are subsumed in the other variables. Right? So the gender and home language are accounted for in the academic indicators that we have here. The quality of secondary schooling reflects in the quality of secondary schooling results, right? Um, stereotype threat is a factor at secondary level as well as at tertiary level. So I guess the big question is, what do we learn from this? Well, it's no big surprise to us, but it's good to get the, uh, the confirmation in a, a, a rigorous and robust way. 
we are a long way from having leveled the playing fields. And there is a huge amount of work that needs to be done in order to get to uh, that state that we would all like to achieve. Uh, on the positive side, and this is a, is a really big but, right? There is a, a lot of positive stuff that can be done. The provision of the right kind of reinforcing support uh, of a financial nature, an educational, emotional, and psychosocial nature can go a long way towards redressing the imbalance, right? What is critical is in those programs to get right what I believe UCT's Education Development Unit has got right, and that is providing that support in a reinforcing and supportive way, uh, in a way that creates a sense of identity, in a way that looks to leverage off capabilities that we know are there in the young people who be belong to that program, as opposed to providing that support in a way that aims to fill some hole of perceived academic deficit, which simply reinforces that deficit mindset. Avoiding that deficit model has been critical to the success of EDU and I believe should be will be critical to any successful intervention program aimed at redressing the imbalance that we're seeing in, uh, in these results. I think these are important and valuable insights. I think we learn uh, a, a huge amount from them. But there is still a lot of work to be done. For one thing, we've, uh, we've just simply treated graduation with an actuarial science degree as our target variable here. But we know not all XI degrees are equal, right? The view to that steepest peak when you emerge with your degree and nine or 10 exemptions is a lot clearer than when you emerge with three or four exemptions. So we need to, we need to supplement this analysis with exemption data and are going to do exactly that. Uh, and we also just then need to place it back in the context that I spoke about uh, when we started, right? The big picture here is uh, throughput to qualification as actuaries. Uh, and what really that's what really matters from the profession's perspective. So we need to supplement the study with an analysis of post-graduation exam success. And um, I am going to be involved in a project with the Transformation Committee, which looks at actuarial society data and does exactly that. What I can tell you from the, the briefest of glances at that data already is that it is going to confirm what we see at university level. The sorts of disparities that we see here are perpetuated post-graduation. So you might ask yourself, what's driving this? Well, all of those factors that we spoke about continue to apply. The legacy of secondary schooling continues to apply post-graduation. Stereotype threat continues to apply. Uh, I want to focus in closing, though, on one of those, which is the aspect of institutional culture. Um, in the same way that university settings can be disorienting and alienating, uh, can, whether consciously or not, um, <coughs> promote those pervasive norms of whiteness and maleness, uh, our corporate settings, our professional structures can do exactly the same. In fact, in many cases, can do it in a worse way because those institutional settings have not been forced to confront the urgent need for change in the same way that the university settings have as yet. Um, so I, um, I, I, I want to say this as plainly and clearly as I can. There is a moral imperative on the profession to change that status quo, to move it in the right direction. Um, and when I use the term the profession here, I don't mean simply some disembodied committee of the actuarial society. 
I mean, all of the formal and informal structures in which actuaries and actuarial graduates interact. I mean, the corporate workplaces, the team, business units, the teams in which the, those actuarial graduates work. And I mean, every single individual member of the actuarial society. So, I mean you. I mean me, right? We all have this responsibility. And in figuring out how to um, rise up to that responsibility, what is really needed is a very frank and probably very uncomfortable set of conversations about transformation. And I'd like to hand over to Shivani to do exactly that. Thank you.